Hello and welcome to Oh Brother, What Are We Watching? Two brothers discuss pop culture with a geeky bent. Uh, my name's Chris, and with me as always is my brother Steve. How are you doing, Steve? Snooch to the booch, nugga nooch. <laughs> Getting right into it this week. So, for those of you, if you missed it, uh, Steve's assignment, um, for which I am so sorry. <laughs> You're not sorry enough. Was to, um, so we were going to watch um, Clerks, the first Kevin Smith film, and we were going to watch uh, well, I thought his most recent, I think he's actually just released one, a very recently released one since, but certainly one of his most recent films, which was Yoga Hosers, which I knew was going to be pretty bad. <laughs> I had no idea. So, um, but this was the, with the idea of, of sort of framing a conversation about um, Kevin Smith's career in general, uh, mm-hmm. a specific question I had in mind that I can't help but feel Yoga Hosers answers for us is... Has he got worse, or have we just kind of grown out of his antics? Let's start. Let's start by just. Well, let's just set aside maybe twenty minutes to just tear yoga hoses apart, and then maybe we can clear our heads and move on. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, we can, we can do it that way if you want. Absolutely. I mean, yoga hoses isn't so much a film as it is. Probably what they show people in Guantanamo Bay to make them admit to terrorist acts. Mm. It's not something you would enjoy. Now, let me, for our fans, uh, I usually proceed with an assumption that people have watched the film that we're discussing or... Nobody's watched this film. Yeah, no one's watched this film. And uh, I think we should actually put something out on the social media. Don't, like, unless you're feeling particularly masochistic, don't make yourself watch this film. Because everything else we've done has been worthy of the watch so that we could discuss it. Uh, This is very much not. Um, So a quick uh, overview for those of you that that, that won't have watched it. It is a string of very loosely connected, wouldn't even really call them set pieces, just scenes, uh, with very little plot connecting them, uh, or at least very little that makes sense that seem to be there to showcase the uh, quote-unquote talents of the daughters of Kevin Smith and Johnny Depp. The the vast majority of the film's humour comes from the fact that Canadians are hilarious. Yeah, it's basically a series of incredibly played-out Canadian jokes. Like, for example, Steve, did you know that Canadians say a boot instead of a bout? Apparently, and this film also taught me that they like to say sorry. And yes. they also like to say <laughs> a boot and also, yeah, it's it's a string of lazy Canadian stereotypes wrapped in one of the strangest delivery methods I've ever seen with no point. It's I think it's I think it's kind of like an Easter egg in that you just got to take a chunk and then just keep going. Like, I, I don't I can't think of any logical way to attack this film because the film is devoid of logic and not in a good way. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it, it makes very little sense. So the, the plot, such as it is, is based upon apparently a joke from a podcast which plays at the end of the credits. Mm. Now, um, I can I can tell you, I listened to that whole podcast. You did. Because actually the credits, the thing you hear over the credits is actually a little bit truncated because that that riff lasts for like half an hour. And the thing is, when you're listening to the podcast... Kevin Smith is many things, but one thing he, he's he's kind of a raconteur. Mm, he's definitely. very good at he's very good at telling a story. He's very good at spinning a yarn, and that is why his podcast network is hugely popular. Mm. So this is this was on Smodcast, 
mm. which is one of like five podcasts that drop weekly or bi-weekly on his his network but him and scott mosier were uh reading a news article from canada that was basically about some dumb guy who had something and he didn't realize how valuable it was it was just your typical fluff piece about something like that and kevin smith is reading through it and continually doing all these you know dumb canadian impersonations being like oh i'm sorry about that i'm sorry i didn't know at one point Mosier interjects pretending to be a policeman and calls him a damn yoga hoser because the guy's a yoga instructor or something and this this makes kevin smith lose his shit and when you're listening to it you can kind of say oh that, that that's kind of funny the riffing on it it's amusing but a riff does not a good movie necessarily make well there's a lot to unpack there chris so we've got a film here that is based on a podcast joke that uh, two people were joking about uh, Canadian stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. Uh, the film, as you said, stars uh, his daughter, uh, Harley Quinn Smith. A nice little comic book reference there. She, yeah. she has to live with the rest of her life. Yeah. And Johnny Depp's daughter. And is full of these kind of really poor Canadian jokes. But ostensibly it's supposed to be a kind of a comedy horror which involves Nazi sausages which go up people's bums. And then kills them, mm-hmm. which is a terrible idea for a film. But the worst thing is, occasionally I'll explain to someone the plot or premise, and they'll kind of laugh at what I'm saying. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It might sound funny the way I'm saying it. It is not funny. It's not funny, and also you could kind of see where they were going with it. So it's a kind of a comedy horror idea, and the two girls are maybe say trapped in the convenience store, which is where the start of the film takes place. And that they would then have uh, some kind of macabre jokes and fight these weird Nazi things, whatever. You could see it kind of being a bit of a, I don't know, a Mondo grindhouse kind of weird film. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't even do that right. It's boring, first of all. And nothing mm-hmm. happens. I've got a note here that says 30 minutes, nothing. Nothing's yeah. happened. There's a very small reference to to what is about to come and then it's a long as you said it's a long period of exposition uh made worse by johnny depp's arrival who is absolutely of course phoning it in uh only in these films for uh, his daughter i mean his scenes are actually unbearable like i i cannot i cannot begin to fathom like how this man known for being quite good comedically just cannot seem to get a laugh out of me i don't know if it's the script or if, as you say, it's just Depp's not really there. So, Chris, I, I should fess up. I should fess up at the moment. So, the movie was so bad within approximately six minutes of putting it on that I mm-hmm. turned down the volume. I kept it on. I kept the volume on. But then I did a trick which my wife does, which is I played a video game at the same time. Except oh, yeah. instead of muting the video game and watching the video, I put the tv up to full volume to play the video game and dipped in and out the film because it is atrocious Mm. it is not only poorly acted and makes very little sense and is not funny um but one of the things which we will probably discuss over the course of this podcast chris is kevin smith's direction now i am not a film i like to think i'm a film buff but i'm not really i don't sell yourself short you've got elements I'm not going to tell you about certain shot, um, 
certain types of shots or cinematography or <laughs> the choices between certain directors. But one thing that has been uniformly consistent from really from Clerks onward is that Smith doesn't really know how to, to film a picture. Sometimes it's the, you know, the shot is too wide, there's not enough edits, there's not enough close-ups, um, or he just uses the wrong take. And you know, one of the elements, for example, is much later on in the film, uh, Johnny Depp and the two girls are taken prisoner by a reanimated Nazi, Canadian Nazi, I should say, because uh-huh. that's part of the quote-unquote joke. And he's kind of attached to the chair and there's this interminably long sequence where the girls are kind of awake and he's awake. Uh, Guy Lapointe, Guy Lapointe, whatever his name is. Mm. And he's kind of shaking the armrests to kind of, he looks at each of them like, uh, I can't get out of this. And it's just interminably long. And you think this film is about 85 minutes all the way to the end, the very end of the credits. It's not even 90 minutes long, Chris. And it feels so long. It's it so does. stretched out because <laughs> there's these long, languid takes of not much happening. And when something does happen, like action, it's not filmed particularly well it's a low budget film and there's a reason why at this point kevin smith is making low budget films is abundantly clear by his last few ones it's it's a real struggle to get through this film and not i'm trying to think of anything positive from it i did not i i went into this film expecting it to be like okay you know he's past his prime it's not going to make me laugh the way that his older films are sort of capable of making me laugh or certainly used to make me laugh but I thought, you know, there's, there's going to be a funny dick or fart joke here and there. Um, and there will be a charismatic Jason Lee type in there for me somewhere. Mm. So I I wasn't optimistic for sure. But I was still expecting something. And I can honestly say I did not laugh. I did not titter. I didn't even smile. I can think of almost any other film I've ever watched dramatic tragic or otherwise that has managed to make me laugh at some point and this film couldn't do it once the scene you're talking about in particular where um yeah depths in the chair with the two girls and then you get this um, long long exposition from a canadian nazi at that point i started yelling because i knew (laughs) i had to get through it and i wanted to get through it quickly so i only took one break (laughs) in in an 85 minute film about 20 minutes in i was like fuck this i'm off for a walk and just took a turn around the block but the thing was there was actually an even earlier scene in the film where the girls are in school and they learn about canadian nazis conveniently from their history teacher and it is again interminably long it is so long this film is it's full of people trying to explain the build-up to the joke that particular scene the reason i started yelling the celebrity impressions that the Nazi starts doing. Mm. So he's like, oh, I know what will make you feel more comfortable. I will do an Al Pacino impersonation. And I think, fair to say, and uh, if you want to do a bit of editing magic, Steve, and put them side by side, feel free. Our Al Pacino impersonations were better than this professional actor's Al Pacino impersonation. It's not very good. I don't know if that's like a a meta postmodern joke that I just don't get because I'm too fucking out of touch. But it just wasn't funny, and it just wasn't good. Yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing was, I was looking down the cast list before I watched this travesty of a film. And in addition to, um, obviously, Kevin Smith was in it, and his daughter's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife's also in it, which, again, points to the whole vanity project aspect of this film. His whole family is in this film. Mm. And then I saw people like Tony Hale, 
who was in Arrested oh, Development in Veep. I Natasha know. Leon, who's in Orange is the New Black and uh, um, American, American Pie. Pie films. And I was like, are you doing this guy a favour? Oh my goodness. And of course, they don't really serve to do anything. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you who else was in it. So, um, obviously, Justin Long. His career's been a little bit more hit or miss, but he's also been in some very funny films and I think is a very capable comedic actor uh, who gets stuck with all the terrible uh, yoga instructor uh, oh, jokes. Oh, yes. Um, particularly, he actually... Do you know what that put me in mind of? You know the terrible Mike Myers film, The Love Guru? Yes. That is exactly what all of his bits made me think of. Just a silly accent with some terrible puns. Uh, and also, um, he's only in it very briefly, but um, I think it's Adam Brody uh, who plays their drummer, Ichapod. Um, yeah. And I love that guy. He was um, he was in the league uh, for a while. Uh, I thought he was very funny in that. Um, he was in the OC, which I know isn't your particular cup of tea. But um, again, he's very, very funny in that and, and has some real comedic chops. Uh, and with him and with so many other people that are in this film, I was just like... This is like a raft of incredibly talented people uh, just being completely wasted. The film was frankly upsetting on that score. It's boring. It's a boring film. Nothing much happens in it. And that's all because it's it's a poorly thought out film in which no one told Kevin Smith no because it's a, it's a vanity project, Chris. It's a joke for a podcast. And at this point in his career, yeah. and maybe we'll start to segue into uh, the earlier, more promising parts of his career... Um, he's no longer kind of in the Hollywood studio system making those kind of films uh, get with, on reasonable sized budgets with actors. He's out there on his own uh, making films on a whim. Uh, there's no one there to tell him no. And it was not surprising, Chris, that the bad guy, the ultimate bad guy um, to the Canadian Nazi in this film is critics. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to kill all the critics. And then we we realize why Kevin Smith is like mm-hmm. the way he is because he's never ever 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 liked critics because the critics have never really liked him, although they were very big into Clerks and and Chasing Amy, and really since then it's been a, a the rule of diminishing returns for Kevin and the critics have have done it that way as well, and it was an interesting thing I read about uh, about this film, Chris, in the lead up to watching it. And I think it's summed up perfectly, so I'll relate it to you. This is the film where Kevin Smith is not even trying because you then cannot have a go. Oh, at him. yeah, that is. He's, yeah. he's, he's phoned it in and he can just legitimately turn away and say, I wasn't yeah. even trying. You can't even make fun of me because I wasn't even trying. And I think that makes it worse. It makes it sadder. Like, try. Like, you know, you might not be the best film director in the world but as you said chris he's a raconteur he has on occasion made lots of people laugh there's a lot of people who love his podcasts um his live shows when he comes to london or new york or or jersey or whatever you know there's another critic i read and he said the pre-film introduction by smith was more entertaining than the film Mm, definitely (laughs) and then unfortunately they had to stick the film on for 90 minutes and some critics couldn't even make it all the way through it it's a terrible film but sadly, very indicative of, of where he is at the moment. And bringing it back to your central point, Chris, you know, did we grow up or did he get worse? I definitely think it's the latter because I'm the kind of guy who, as a child, laughs at... I'm a child. I laugh at dumb Will Ferrell films, the good ones as well as the bad ones, and all that in between. Kevin Smith's done a lot of, you know, purple vein dick joke kind of films. 
you know, he's not necessarily known for uh, films that make you think very hard, but he can make a very fun film as he did early in his career. And then since then, it's just gone downhill. Mm. I mean, that's it. I feel like I feel like my initial question, uh, you know, has has very much been answered by this film. He has gotten worse, like unmistakably this these these are the ravings of a madman this this is not someone who is in control of his faculties that has made this movie it's the worst kind of self-indulgence this film as has been his last few films and there's a whole litany of and we'll hopefully get to it chris but a whole litany of incidents and controversy with smith really since that kind of year 2000 heyday that have overshadowed the rest of his career and has made everything worse and you know i hope he gets back on track and but it it looks like he's struggling to to get back into that studio system adversity creates good art um whether or not you would call clerks art is is beside the point but you know in his older films smith was dealing with something and it made for much more compelling watching than when he's pretty much you know like you say you know he has to do indie films he's kind of out of the studio system but he can put together he can finance a film if he wants to and he can still get some of the world's biggest stars like johnny depp on board even if they don't particularly care about what they're doing i mean it's basically like a home movie for his daughter it's like yeah she she wants to act let her do it let her act i can make that happen even though frankly she's got no business being in front of a camera right well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I, I don't want to pile on the, the two lead girls because I think they do okay with... You, you know, you have to understand, one, Kevin Smith is not great, just like George Lucas as a director. Um, certainly what comes in my head is that George Lucas mantra of faster, more intense, which is pretty much his only direction he ever gives actors. Um, and then the second thing is, as we were saying before the, the, the earlier part, I don't think it would have been necessarily a terrible film if he had doubled down on the actual on that clerks element and said okay so clerks was two slackers in the 90s in the new jersey store two guys here's two girls and i could have done it either i think a girl take you know a female take or maybe say okay i'll go all out it's going to be like a zombie film they're going to get attacked and it's going to be my take on night of the living dead but then there's this Canadian aspect and then, you know, all these other, th- you know, he makes it into this horrible comedy, which has no comedy and about 50 to 60 minutes of exposition in an 80 minute film. If he just doubled down and said, OK, there's two girls in the store. They're not supposed to be there. You know, an examination on that coupled with, say, maybe some cheap zombie horror with some comedy laughs. And on top of that, you know, like two or three guys, you, you could do it probably for as cheap as this film spend the money on effects instead of you know johnny depp mm. and tony and the rest of them so I, they probably would have been a better film definitely. but it's just it's the worst kind of self-indulgence it just has it's, it's just it's formless there's nothing to it you, you can't describe it is it a comedy it's supposed to be is it a action horror it's supposed to be it's just a whole lot of words and unlike kevin smith of the past there's just nothing it's just got no heart it it just it feels completely devoid of any passion it's inert it's inert it's dead on arrival Mm. so i tell you i've got some theories that i'm not going to share just yet i'm just teeing them up i have some theories as to how a, a confluence of things that have brought him from where he was to where he is but let's go back yeah let's talk a bit about clerics now did you get a chance to rewatch it or are you just going from memory here um, I didn't get a chance to rewatch it, so it is all from memory. But it, they're warm, fuzzy mm. memories. 
Okay, so I'll, t I'll tell you something. I'm, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna let you. I went overboard on this one. Okay, so yes, I watched Yoga Hoses. Yes, I listened to a bit of Smodcast. I watched Clerks. I also then went on to watch Mallrats and Chasing Amy. So I have been wow, like I've really thrown myself into this Kevin Smith thing because I'm I'm fascinated by what has happened here. So talking Clerks, from my rewatching of it, it's. It's a different ball game altogether. It's a very genuinely indie film. It's made with, it, it, like I say, it was made through through adversity. Kevin Smith did not have enough money to make this film. He had to film it in the Quick Stop grocery store where he was working. He would work there, close up at night, and film all night. Um, you know, he had so little money. He had to get actors who could do things on the cheap. He had to. Um, yeah, you know, he, he, he was basically, he nearly killed himself making this film. It was a real labor of love for him. And I'd say now we are, what, nearly 20 years? Twenty. In fact, we're over 20 years away from it now. Yeah, Over 20 years 20, from the film, yeah. 23 years old now. Um, and so some of the, um, some things appeared to me this time that hadn't before. Like, uh, and you've probably noticed this because you're a bit more observant than me on stuff like this. But the amount of times that someone kind of fluffs a line and they just have to keep going because they don't have an infinite amount of film to just, you know, keep redoing takes. Um, so mm. I think there's, there's a couple of times where you notice someone will just sort of fall over their words a bit and keep going. Um, and rather famously uh, in Jay's rant right towards the end of the film, he just stops in the middle and goes, wait, shit, I fucked up. And then he just goes again. And it just seems completely in character because he's this spaced out druggie. But in fact, that's just because he he fucked up the line, uh, and they didn't <laughs> they yeah. didn't have the time or money to be able to just keep reshooting. Yeah, it was a labor of love for him. And another interesting aspect was, and I think it <laughs> it actually in an interesting way portrays a bit more about his character is his father yeah. uh, hated his job by all accounts, and Smith seeing this decreed that he would never fall into that trap he would only ever do what he loved so he went away to film school where he met one of his uh, most active collaborators scott mosier who i think he might do the smodcast with and four months into film school he dropped out to film clerks so he didn't finish film school which is self-abundant mm -hmm. in anything of these things that you watch but you're right clerks was a labor of love you know it's it's got some fantastic dialogue that is instantly quotable and still in this household is said yeah. today. Um, it's it's really a, a film about nothing because these characters are slackers and it was a very nineties, um, very nineties thing. And obviously had no money, so they couldn't go off on an adventure. It all had to take place in in this one place, and it was at night, so it was in black and white. So it hides a lot of those kind of directorial foibles, like lighting and whatnot. It's in black and white. It's in a store. It has you know, lighting's provided by the fluorescent tubes, you know, and away you go. And but it's 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 warm, Chris. Mm. It's a warm film. Um it's it's a very funny film. And I think with all of these things really, it's a bit of a there's a lot of luck involved and it's a bit of a lightning strike. You know, the actors he got mm. had very, very good on screen chemistry. Were able to deliver his lines with, you know, like you say, there's a lot of warmth between them. Um, you know, you really feel like Dante and Randall are kind of unwillingly best friends. You know, they're kind of forced into a situation together. 
but yeah i can't help but love this guy like he's he's obnoxious he's annoying he makes my life more difficult but he's my best friend and you really feel that but more than anything else like what what was evident there which is no longer evident in smith's films is a basic understanding of storytelling i'm gonna have a beginning a middle and an end here is my main character he's going to have an arc he's going to come out of this film different from the way he went into it dante's a very interesting very 90s kind of character you know like you say he's a slacker um he's you know he's kind of directionless and he just ultimately very self-destructive but he thinks you know the world's against him he's very put upon and as the night wears on you know several revelations happen and he comes out of it realizing i've kind of fucked everything up here and it's actually kind of all my fault and i just blame everyone around me it's a good fun story it's i could watch it time and time again and it probably doesn't make me laugh as hard as it used to and that's partly because it's not as shocking uh, a film now as it was back then but yeah like you say it's like it's like putting on a warm jumper clerics more than any of his other films is 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 really sort of reassuring and enjoyable to me and let's also remember so you said it's over 20 years ago now how many films back then wore their geek pride to to use a phrase it was it was fresh it you know he had these characters who were referencing things like star wars and comic books and as a young kid growing up who did his best to shield that horrible geeky aspect from everyone in school because that's just not wasn't done when we were growing up certainly especially for me you know it was very much like oh you have to be you know, good at sports and all that other stuff, whereas the geeky aspects were off to the side. Nowadays, everyone likes geeky stuff. Everyone watches Marvel films or can tell you all about the ins and outs of the Avengers, for example. This was very different. It was very fresh. And to see these characters kind of related like us um, was a real eye-opener. And it was really, you know, it was really a fresh take on it, on on both slacker films, but also just in in any films for a young man growing up who watched far too much TV and movies and whatever, and occasionally comic books like mm. we would. You know, this this for me kind of frames the, the story of Smith's early career, which is pretty much, especially considering his relative level of talent, the best he could have possibly hoped for. So he breaks onto the scene with an indie film that has got a huge cult popularity. It becomes quite commercially successful. And it gives him the perfect launching pad. And then he comes out with Mallrats. It was very much tapping into the sort of the teen market. The soundtrack was very pop punk. It was very colorful. It was almost cartoonish. It was kind of on trend and it kind of came along at the right time, which is why for a lot of people, you and me included, Mallrats was our first introduction to, to Kevin Smith and his sort of view askew, you know, whatever they call it, the view askew universe. Yeah. You know, and then he comes out with Chasing Amy, which is, you know, decidedly less funny than the other two uh, films. You know, he's trying to be a bit more artsy. It's filled with lots of lengthy monologues, but it's actually about something kind of important. You know, people's sexuality and, and what that means, people's orientation. Uh, Mole Rats was his first studio film and he was given a budget and it was a bomb. It was a commercial bomb. It was a critical bomb. Um, he tried to take some of those elements from clerks and, and basically pump them full of, you know, money. And but there was no, there was nothing really to the film. It had some it kind of individual fun moments. <laughs> you know, some of the acting is terrible. Oh, 
uh, some of the acting is 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 better you know it, it was a very young ben affleck is in there um for example <laughs> joey lauren adams who would come back at chase, uh, chasing amy um chasing amy was was about something like clerks was about something chasing amy was inspired by kevin smith's friend it might even been scott Mosier again who had a crush on a <laughs> lesbian or no actually that's not true actually i think it was a mix of things he had someone who had a crush on someone but also kevin smith's brother is uh-huh. gay and had never seen many films written about gay people so he'd say to do one even though as he would actually himself admit you know he's maybe not the the best person to do it but back then 20 years ago and this is actually the 20th anniversary of chasing amy this year um this and buffy came out in the same year interesting eh? we're good we're doing these podcasts chris and we're we're finding a narrative string um but 20 years ago uh, chasing amy was um fresh. it was it was Super no one fresh. had made a film like it it was an absolute eye-opener like who, who, who'd put into screen a film I'll, I'll try and phrase this as well as i can a, a film for straight people about lgbtq community yeah. Uh, I'd certainly never seen anything about it before. And while, you know, you watch it now 20 years later, you, I, I imagine you saw this in your rewatch, Chris, there's probably elements of that you went, nowadays they probably would have done something slightly different mm-hmm. there. You know, the, the the idea of maybe the lesbian who drops everything for Ben Affleck, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, although to be to be sure, you know, she does go, she, go she, you know, she does say to them, I am a lesbian. And she goes back to, you know, and the, the, the love is unrequited mm. in that film. It was a film about something. It had some fresh geeky elements to it the whole start of the film i think is a comic yeah. convention and it's probably the funniest part of the film but the, the rest of the film it, it holds cohesively very well in stark contrast to something like yoga hosers or even like clerks clerks obviously was more of an indie film but compared to yoga hosers it's night and freaking night on venus it's absolutely different Chasing Amy is a film. Chasing Amy is a complete film from start to finish that means something, is funny, and is well acted. Yeah. And it was re- it really was the high water. Uh, definitely, mark. definitely. I mean, I was surprised. So, I mean, um, from my rewatchings of both Chasing Amy and Mallrats, like, I think Mallrats I still have a fondness for. It still holds a, a place dear to my heart because it takes me back to the time and place when I first watched it, I think. And as you say, it's still got a few... Uh, you know, a few sort of key moments and a few standout actors. Meanwhile, Chasing Amy, I was actually surprised at how well it stood up. I think particularly some of the language used, Banky calling people rug munchers and dykes and faggots, those terms are f- seemingly far more inflammatory now than they were then. You know, he has this whole scene defending, like, so what if I say that? Well, you know, as long as no one hears me, what's the problem? And, you know, kind of watching it back now, it, it's, it's almost like seeing someone defend dropping an n-bomb or something it's like well you know it's kind of an undefensible phrase but that was the time standards were different but you know it, it is a film and actually um i believe a large portion of it uh came from the fact that smith was dating joey lauren adams he was intimidated by her um her life and her experiences not just mm-hmm. sexual um which is another factor in the thing so again you're seeing that the real life elements just like any sort of like successful band really like any kind of like these real life elements you can draw upon to create a story and smith had them all for that film um you know he had his mate who was getting over a girl he couldn't go out with he had a gay brother who he wanted to see more representation of on screen he had this girlfriend who was 
10,000 leagues above him <laughs> in terms of uh, what you might call traditional sexuality, you know, given Smith is quite, well, yeah. like us. <laughs> He's short and dumpy and has a beard. And, but that all came together in, in what is a film that, as you said, it holds really well together. It does, it does. Um, and I mean, so I think that brings me nicely to the first, the first sort of key factor, especially just looking at that chunk of his career that I think kind of explains the, the problem now. So those three films, particularly the first two, were aimed very much at Gen Xers. You know, a generation of, you know, people who are always accused of being slackers, of having no direction. All his characters, you know, it's always the same thing. Like, uh, I'm doing a few, you know, a few classes at college. I don't even know if I want to do college. I don't even know what I want to do with my life. Like, they're always kind of directionless and and, you know... There's, there's this just sort of sense of, I don't know what to fucking do. And that's obviously related very much to his life. That is the generation that he, that he I believe, comes from. But yeah, I feel like when he was aiming at that generation, a generation he understood the struggles of, he had stories to tell, relatable stories, uh, you know, in some degree or another, true stories mixed in with a bit of toilet humor, a bit of fart jokes, and so on. But now, you know, particularly with Yoga Hosers, Yoga Hosers felt to me like he's kind of shooting for the millennial. You know, I get them. They like the Instagrams. They blog about things. Um, I can identify with this, but he can't in any way. And it creates this entirely unrelatable story. And he's he's now gone beyond that point where he's got stories that we can relate to because he's not just an ordinary guy anymore. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting you say that at the end because... As you were saying, I was thinking there's probably a movie that Kevin Smith could do which involves comic book nerds railing against the success they now find themselves Mm. in and lamenting about how everyone likes what they used to like in dirty comic book shops and, you know, sweaty games workshop type environments. There's probably a film in that that Kevin Smith could write quite well. Uh, Yoga Hosers is a film for millennials written by a 50-year-old man who gets nothing about it. And I'm not even saying millennial, like, I mean, you say, technically Mm -hmm. I'm a millennial. But actually, the people who I don't even understand who are out there taking photos of their food and selfieing this and all that and the other, Instagram generation or whatever it is, um, he doesn't, it didn't come across like he'd get that. But then I don't think any aspect of that film was well thought out. I just, I I purely think it was just a vanity project Mm -hmm. based on one joke. I'm, I'm jumping around now, but just to belabor that point a little bit more, the film immediately preceding Yoga Hoses he directed was a film called Tusk. Do you know what Tusk is based on? I believe it was also something to do with his podcast. I could be wrong on that. They read out, a, they read out an mm-hmm. advert from Gumtree. I had a good laugh about it. And it was about a man who said, you could stay with me for free as long as you live with my manatee or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they made a film out of it. I mean, apparently, I think Tusk is not a great film, but he tried some things which um, didn't really come off. Uh, to which he probably retreated at that point and went, "Do you know what? I'm not even. I'm just done with it all." But this is apparently Yoga Hose is part two of his uh, True North trilogy. So apparently, I have one more Canadian uh, piss take to enjoy. Yeah, and that's. I mean, this this is part and parcel of the problem. You know, again, so he's talking trilogy. So before. <laughs> uh dogma and jay and silent bob and clerks 2 uh those first three films were called like his new jersey trilogy or his jersey trilogy 
all these characters who kind of knew each other. There was always references to Caitlin Bree from Clerks or the girl who got the embolism in the pool from Mallrats. You know, there's tons of, of, of interconnectivity and it's it felt like all those films in some way or another were kind of grounded in reality. Um, and then he sort of kept going with <laughs> with that kind of universe. And again, you know, he's he's two movies through a new trilogy. Uh, who fucking knew? Like they're they're all bombs. They're all terrible. Um, you know, we've only seen Yoga Hosers because I made us watch it, and I knew it would be bad. And it just it's again it's it's the entire you know it's entirely the opposite end of the spectrum. It's aimed at a different audience. It's not as funny. I feel like he feels the need to try these. Uh, to to try to basically just go off on these narrative tangents and be like you know I'm making art I'm doing something different. No, I I actually disagree with that. I don't I don't think he he thinks that at all. I think Kevin Smith has always been someone very much who would mm-hmm. uh, make fun of himself from from moment one. He's always said like you know he never finished film school. He doesn't know really how to film something. He just he was just a, a schmuck that got lucky. So so I don't think it's necessarily he thinks he's, he's making art I think he's just beyond the point of fuck it I think he's genuinely at this point he's just going to do what he wants to do he wants to be to his father's point I get a bit psychological there Chris but he wants to be happy he's going to do what makes him happy and screw all the other guys he's got a really it's quite small now but he's got a hardcore niche fan base and they're going to go and watch these films and they're going to listen to his podcast and if he has a show uh he'll they'll come out and they'll they'll pay whatever and and sell out large theaters and and not arenas but large theaters in America and here in London for example so i don't think it is i, I he wants to make art i don't think any part of mm-hmm. him who made tusk or yoga <laughs> thinks he's making art i just genuinely think he's past mm-hmm. the point of fuck it and he's just going to do whatever he wants to do. So an interesting part of his narrative. Um, so we've touched on his his feelings about critics. Notoriously never really got along with them. And you know, I get that. Because it must be incredibly difficult to put your art or, or whatever, something you've done, out into the world and have someone you've never met professionally tell you how shit mm-hmm. they think it is. And it, it's, it's, it's devastating and because there's nothing more personal than that. To, and, and, you know, for someone to say, like, what is effectively your life's work is garbage and is worth nothing to me, you know. So I can certainly understand why Smith would not be a big fan of the critics. But he had some degree of, as I say, cult success. You know, there were critics that loved him, uh, you know, at a time. And then Jersey Girl happened. Well, it's interesting because, so you're right. So, you know, he did well at Sundance with, with Clerks. Uh, Mole Rats was not a success critically. It was also his first major exposure. There was a lot of high hopes behind him when he was younger because of that success with Clerks, mm. partially realised by Chasing Amy and Dogma. Um, Dogma, commercially, is probably the more successful film than Chasing Amy. Chasing Amy is probably seen as the, the better, more critically lauded film. And then, as you said, after that with Jersey Girl, it went downhill. But when he was making uh, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, which was another take in the view of Skewerverse, you know, straight balls to the mm-hmm. wall kind of dick and fart joke comedy, as you might put it. Um, he had created a website, which you may or may not remember, called moviepoopshoot.com, which was making fun of websites like Ain't It Cool and Chud and Dark Horizons and a few of those kind of spoilerific websites. He already back then was 
a bit taken with his uh, critical lambasting at times. And that's something that keeps on cropping up. So you, you you mentioned Jersey Girl. It was it was also named Jiggly Two, because it almost and it, and it basically almost killed Ben Affleck's career between that and Jiggly. For a long time, we never heard from Ben Affleck and anything. It took um, oh God, what was the film called that he made himself? Argo. It took that to really bring him back, and now of course he's kind of back into the consciousness and everything, but. You know, he almost killed poor Ben Affleck's career. Um, and he almost killed Seth Rogen's career with Zack and Miri make yeah. a porno. Now that's, so, that's, so that's interesting. Um, but in terms of this, to, uh, you know, where I can then draw on is, is from a, uh, one of the podcasts I listen to. He kind of talks about this period that he went through where um, he's, he's, he's quite open and honest about it. But he says he got pretty depressed and he kind of really withdrew from the public for a while because... Like the critics, the the critics were getting to him, and much as he was trying to rail against them and be like this and that, and fuck these guys, you know, I'm I'm going to do this, and I'm fucking Kevin Smith, but you know, it, it actually did get to him, and he had a mini sort of kind of breakdown over it, and he basically says like, you know, that's when I realized that my whole career I'd been making stuff for them, trying to please them. It was all about trying to get it up on. On, you know, put it up on the fridge, mummy, daddy, you know, be proud of me. And he said, you know, and then I realized that's not how you make art, you know. So that's when I decided I'm just going to make films for me. What do I find funny? What do I want to see on the screen? Uh, and that's what I'm going to make. So, you know, so that's kind of why I say that I think, you know, maybe art is the wrong word is, is the word he used. But I think that he thinks, you know, what I'm doing is fucking hilarious. And if you don't get it, whatever. Well, I think I think if it fits into both of what we're saying, it, it definitely is a very ah fuck it attitude. I'm just I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do to whatever level I can do it, and I don't care. But I I do I don't care. I anymore. do also agree with your earlier point that it is almost like intentional failure or intentional lack of trying to shield himself from criticism. You know, I don't think he's got this ironclad armor of, oh, no, I don't care what the critics say. I just make what I want to make. I think he's almost like, like you say, well, I didn't even try. So you can't, you can't criticize it because it, it defies criticism because I didn't even try. And that's, and that's so frustrating because of his run-in with Bruce Willis, which is another controversy in Kevin Smith's career. So for those of you who don't know, there's a film called Cop Out, which stars uh, bruce willis and tracy morgan i've never had the pleasure of watching it and by all accounts i shouldn't no. um but bruce willis after the had a cameo to uh, kevin smith had a cameo in one of the Die Hard films uh, yeah Die Hard 4.0 yeah they both had uh, new jersey backgrounds they got in really well and then months later bruce willis calls him up and says direct me in my new film dream come true for kevin smith except that dream became a mm-hmm. nightmare because bruce willis is an unworkable yeah. asshole in hollywood and he was not prepared for that so he there is a another uh tv show or, or podcast that he does chris where he explains parts of this and has these uh talks with other directors of bruce willis and basically it's well known that if he doesn't want to say your line he's not going to say yeah. your line and if you tell him where to stand, he may or may not stand mm-hmm. there. <laughs> uh, he may or may not change. But basically, if you st- at this point in his career, if you tell him what to do, he's yeah. he's not going to do it. Um, and him and and Bruce Willis had a a massive falling out um, over it. Bruce Willis has never really commented publicly on it. Kevin Smith will yeah. do it at the drop of a hat. 
Uh, but basically, Kevin, you know, said, well, we couldn't even get him in to do the poster. We had to Photoshop his head <laughs> onto about another guy's body. <laughs> and Tracy Morgan, of course, was doing everything that he would, you know, he would actually come in and do the photo, but Bruce Willis would, yeah. etc. And that, that's, that's what's so frustrating is because he saw it firsthand. There's Bruce Willis, you know, not trying, or maybe in some cases, certainly in Kevin Smith's opinion, trying to purposely torpedo yeah. this film and not do the publicity for it and all that other stuff and he should be above it i mean i don't believe for a minute that clerks and chasing amy are even mall rats but certainly clerks and chasing amy were made for anything other than himself i just think he was much better at it there were just much better stories to be told again I, i'm not at all surprised that bruce willis is a complete asshole to try and direct and to be able to direct him you either have to have more clout than he does which very few people in hollywood probably do or I guess you just need to know how to handle him, and, and Kevin Smith had neither of those. And yeah, as you say, it was it was a nightmare, and the critics really came after Smith when that film came out, and he really retaliated against them and started saying he wasn't going to f- screen his films for critics anymore because you know if they're just going to dick all over his film, then they might as well just pay to see it like everyone else does. Um, but I I think that like actually damaged Kevin Smith, not entirely beyond repair. But I don't, I don't think he's ever really been the same since since some of these incidents. I don't think he's truly recovered. I don't think he will allow himself to be vulnerable enough to make a film like Chasing Amy ever again. No, but he could. You know, he very easily could if someone could, I don't know, sit him down and say, I will give you $40 million to make a film, but it has to be good, Kevin. You know, you, ha- you can't just write based on a podcast joke. It has to be a story about something. You, you mentioned about how Cop Out had affected them, and you're right. So the, the the next big controversy, I have a list of controversies written down. <laughs> the next big controversy was he made a film called Red State, which mm-hmm. is, again, I think a little bit different from his past films. It was kind of a bit more uh, action orientated, I think. And he had a major falling out with the Weinsteins because he decided to, to he had made this film. There was no distribution rights. And in the end, he decided to host an auction at Sundance mm-hmm. for them. Um, I think it was at Sundance anyway, and instead actually didn't do that, held them onto himself and released it himself. It bombed because what does Kevin Smith know about releasing films? Like, it's, it's almost like he's purposely shooting himself in the foot. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, you finance the film, but you have to get it out there into the audience. And again, he's like, oh, I'm beyond this, I'm beyond the Hollywood system, I'm just going to make it for me, and I'll release it as best I can into a handful of theatres which are not screened for critics or whatever. So that tusk yoga hosers all a lot of diminishing returns because they're not out there but also because it doesn't seem like he's trying very hard no and i think his red state was one of the only films in his post kind of jay and silent bob or post clerks 2 era that i've actually read some good reviews for and so it sounds to me like he did actually try a bit with red state uh which i don't think he has with anything since and yeah you know much like yourself i hope he has it in him to come back but you know i've also been reading today about how he for ages was trying to shop around scripts for mall rats 2 and clerics 3 and tv shows are based on them and yeah going back to yeah. his glory days exactly and you know like th- that's exactly it trying to recapture his glory days i i heard a story that the only reason he did clerics 2 was because jason muse said i'll i'll get clean and I'll stay off the smack or whatever if you 
you know, if you do another view askew film and I can play Jay, like uh, that will give me a reason to stay clean. Um, and so he basically farted out Clerks 2. I didn't think it was amazing. It had some funny moments. It was nice to see the characters again, but ultimately it was kind of the opposite of the original film. Um, it was I've like... yet to actually um, investigate this further, but here's a nugget on Clerks 2. It was screened at Cannes mm-hmm. and it got an eight minute standing ovation at the end. Eight minute standing ovation. I have yet to confirm that. I read that on the internet as part of my reading for this, and I was astounded because I can't even remember Clerks 2 that well. It was <laughs> beyond the fact it had some sort of Wisconsin cheese dairy uh, fast food restaurant thing. Yeah, it was like it was movie, the movie, you know, thing that they created in that universe. I mean, it's not bad. It's it's certainly not a bad film, but it's it's kind of like the mall rats of clerks if you will like it, it felt very much like that and you know it, it had its moments it was kind of satisfying it was a nice way to wrap the story together i don't know what you would do with clerks 3 much as i don't know what you would do with mall rats 2 yeah you know that's as with everything with kevin smith and this, this is something again that seems to emerge he has these fallings out like did you know after clerks he had a massive falling out with the guy who played randall which is why I don't think he appeared in any of the films until Dogma, possibly. And it was all to, okay. it was all to do with the fact, so Kevin Smith, uh, as you say, he sold the film. Miramax, uh, you know, were, were distributing it, and Kevin Smith stood to make a lot of money out of that. None of the actors did. Um, he pretty much took it all, and um, forgive me, I can't remember the name of the guy, but the guy who plays Randall um, in, in Clerics, uh, basically was kind of like well hang on kevin where's my fucking money like i signed a contract i was in this film i should be getting residuals or whatever um and yeah basically it became this massive issue where basically he felt he was entitled to some to sort of kickback from the huge success this film got from in part his acting uh and kevin smith was basically like no fuck you i wrote it i directed it i put all my money into this film it's mine to reap the rewards from um, and what has continued in his career is all these stories with, that start with Kevin Smith fell out with blank, whether it be Bruce Willis, someone from the studio, the Weinstein's, Miramax, anyone. Like I think, I think he, I think he just gets very set in his ways, and I think he is wont to kind of create rifts and, and have issues with people that will just become these long-lasting feuds. And listen, pe- people fall out in Hollywood all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a. I've read a story today about um, the the ex president of Paramount who unfortunately um, died. His name is Brad Gray, and how he had fallings out with various people as well. It, it's just it's a it's a very common thing in Hollywood. I just think Smith has always you know he's always been the guy from Red Bank, New Jersey. He's always been the guy who wanted to make films about his life and people like him from New Jersey and comic book geeks and, and so on and so forth and he just keeps running into these incidents mm. like and and ru- coming out of them with what i would say is the wrong viewpoint you know there's a guy there who knows how to relate to people that can write when he has the ability to to write good dialogue he still directs uh tv shows i think he's directed a bunch of the dc tv universe episodes for example so he's still in demand mm. Although directing TV is very different to directing film in terms of your artistic style. It's more just point and click, I think. But 
you know he's still you know he still writes comic book films he you know he still had that incredible experience where he um and it is one of his better stories as you said he's a raconteur how he wrote one of the drafts for superman i I do have sort of a final reason that i think his his approach has changed and his kind of viewpoint has changed and it's not necessarily going to be a very popular one but go with me on this he's high all the time i know that he obviously has always kind of been like a bit of a stoner he likes to do you know he likes to smoke cannabis um i'm sure he's dabbled in a few other things in his time the marijuana the marijuana and you know obviously that plays out in you know characters like jay and silent bob and that's fine that's his life choice that's cool but i don't think he did it when he was necessarily working before but i saw him tell this story once he was talking about working with seth rogan on zach and miri make a porno and it will not surprise you to know that seth rogan is never not high what? that is that is the way he lives his life kevin smith sees him on set rogan's getting high uh and he's off his face and all of a sudden he's coming out with this you know these really funny riffs and he's getting into these really you know good ideas and smith draws on this and he's like i saw how creative those drugs made him i saw how it really opened him up to the process i'm i'm now smoking pot whenever i work and i think the difference is if you're an actor and you're trying to sort of come up with a bit of a comedy flow then that might just be something that works for you but if you're a director or you're a writer who's trying to write a narrative that ain't gonna work at all you know there's that old um thing that's often misquoted where somebody apparently said write drunk edit sober but that's not really true no one actually said that and it's it wouldn't work because you can't you've got to be in the right frame of mind to be able to craft a story to be able to write compelling dialogue um and edit something together to make a cohesive film and i think the more you use drugs like that for some people it has very little effect for other people it can really make you very scatty and 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 affect you in ways that you don't necessarily realize and to me the way he creates these films comes across as yeah basically a drug-addled mind like i can see him fucking lighting up a db watching back some dailies and being like (laughs) yoga hosers (laughs) and that's it that's that's all the feedback he needs You sound like such an old man. Like he's probably smoking up one of those doobies. He's probably rolling a funny cigarette. No, I don't mean to be. <laughs> I don't mean to be a wet blanket here. Like, like I say, it's people's lifestyle choice. I got no problem with it. I'd never do it myself. But I got no problem with somebody that wants to get high in the privacy of their own home. Whatever. I just think that the amount he does it, uh, in the quantities he does it, while working. I think that affects his work and I think he's not willing to accept that because he has developed somewhat of a resilience to criticism in so much as he will refuse to take it on board these days. And so I think he's just going to continue along this path of, yeah, getting high off his tits, laughing at something that sounds kind of funny at the time and making movies about it. There are many creative types, especially in Hollywood, who use drugs, whether to write or direct or, or whatever. Um, one famous one that comes to mind just off the top of my head is, is Aaron Sorkin, who got done for Possession of Mushrooms. Mm-hmm. 
um, midway through the West Wing, and unarguably, the West Wing suffered when he got sober because <laughs> because it just was it wasn't as good. I'm not saying it was because of the drugs, but it wasn't as good. Um, I'm not going to cast aspersions on him for any sort of uh, drug use, I, and I certainly don't know whether he would have been doing drugs on the set of Yoga Hoses with his daughter. Or maybe he did. I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying necessarily every time he been... rolled the film, but during the creative process, I think, you know, and it's, like I say, maybe it works for some people, but one of the sort of key things about drugs that not, not, not everybody necessarily seems to realize is they affect everybody in different ways. So, you know, you might be someone who'd sit and drop mushrooms and then come up with some incredibly witty banter around a political drama. Uh, but then you might also spend a few hours, you know, smoking whatever it is you prefer to smoke and then go, <laughs> Bratzies, that's it. Control S, save, I have, I have, I've written the script, you know, that's all I'm saying. Well, well possibly, well, possibly, I just think like, and, and maybe like your point, I'll go out on a bit of a limb here, mm-hmm. uh, but we live in a society now, Chris, where it's increasingly defined by... Uh, the people we're around and solidifying those relationships in things like echo chambers. So you go on Facebook and the Facebook algorithm tells you that you'll like this and you keep reading and reading and reading. And that's why I remember waking up the day after various elections recently and thinking, hang on, what? I mean, I read my social media timeline and everyone agreed with me. What's going on? <laughs> and of course, we, we I, I just think I just think that at this point in his career, with all the troubles he's been through, all the run-ins he's had and the kind of general, nah, fuck it, I'll do whatever I want to do attitudes. He's in a bit of an echo chamber. He's, you know, he's going on these podcasts with his mates. He's hilarious. He's, they're all having these funny little jokes. And he's like, yeah, we should do a film about Nazi Bratwurst and whatever. And there's no one around outside. Of, you know, he doesn't work in the studio system the last two or three films. There's no one around to basically pick up his script and say, Kevin, this is a piece of shit. This needs punching up, like, buddy. You need to get back to the drawing board. Yeah, exactly. He's like, just, you know, I'll bring someone on board if you want, but otherwise you've got to do better because I'm not, this is not going to get made. Whereas now he's like, I can go out there, crowdfund or scrimping, you know, from various sources to get four to $10 million to make a low budget film. And he doesn't have to answer to anybody. He's just making films for him now. He's just making films for his buddies, mm. uh, regardless of the, the level of quality, which is... It's like anything in life. If you're challenged to be better, then you will be better. You know, you need that coach to tell you to go faster. You need someone at your work saying, this is good, but I've made these suggested edits. This would be better. You always need to be challenged in life. And I just think he's just, he hasn't got anyone or anything to challenge him now. When you're on a a position where you can write the film, have no one to have oversight over it, get all the money, Getting some pals who are actual actors like Tony Hale and Natasha Leon, um, and and go away to Canada and make a film. Like, there's no one there to stop. There's no one there to say, Kevin, this is not a great idea. Kevin, stop. He's just in an echo chamber at this point, and I don't know if he'll ever get out of it. No, it's it's true, it's true, and I, I think it's sad because I don't I don't see any kind of realistic scenario where he does, yeah, as you say, emerge from this said echo chamber. Um, you know, I think what what he needs to do is he needs to get back to writing what he knows because that's what's relatable. You know, even even the worst parts of of Mallrats and some of his earlier films, you know, they're still charming 
because it's it's the life he he leads you know i sit around with my friends i discuss comic books all day i discuss the minutia the the, the silly stuff i want to know you know would superman actually be able to have sex or, or does he have super sperm would it kill people you know it's it's the stupid sort of stuff that you know unfortunately well fortunately unfortunately is, is now so rife in pop culture that it's become you know the norm and very popular um but you know but that's that's what his earlier stuff was it was relatable it was what he did it was what he knew and he's gone so far away from that now that yeah like you say if he could write something relatable to where he is now in his life you know not writing about 20 something slackers like he was but write about the middle-aged guy that he is what is it like being a middle-aged comic book nerd in an age where we actually are the ruling class as far as pop culture goes you know where where actually knowing shit about comic books makes you more popular and makes you cooler amongst your peers um you know anything like that would be far more interesting than these vanity projects for his daughter or whatever the fuck tusk was you know that's what i want to see and i just i just can't see it happening at all i can see no realistic way in which anyone could get through to him to make it happen I think it would take someone like a someone to to maybe like a a Weinstein to have a rapprochement with them, and say here there's forty million dollars. I think there'd be a really great Kevin Smith film talking about how this comic book geek landscape has changed and how you or characters you create either it's in the view skewverse as it was called or or something else. There's a film to be made there. Whether Kevin's capable of making it is another thing, but it would take someone to take a chance on him. But is he willing to go back into that kind of studio system? I don't know. But ultimately, Kevin Smith's career is, for me, missed opportunities. Like, here's a kid who, from film school on, kind of took the short route, and yeah, is the potential still there? Probably not. I doubt it. <laughs> to be honest uh anyway steve i think that i think we've um i think we've roundly covered everything uh there is to say about um sort of kevin smith and the the changes we've seen in his career and him as a person so why don't you go ahead and tell me what i'm going to be doing uh for our next podcast so uh chris i want you to to watch the coen brothers classic fargo which i know <gasps> you haven't watched before oh i've really wanted to watch that good because <laughs> you're gonna watch it and it's on netflix so it's free and you can watch it this weekend <laughs> you know what it, everything you just said appeals to me good <laughs> no like okay giving me got a copy of yoga hosers and asked me to, to do an hour and a half podcast on it <laughs> <laughs> i am sorry i am sorry i made you watch it i genuinely am i i knew it was gonna be bad i oh i had no idea though <laughs> I had no idea. So, uh, I think all that remains is for us to plug our social media and uh, ride out. So, you can follow us on Twitter at OBrotherPod. You can like us at Facebook.com slash OBrotherPodcast. And please, pretty, pretty please, subscribe and review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or whatever app you choose to listen to us on. uh, Because... We, much like Kevin Smith, deep down, we need validation. We need to know that we're yes. doing a good job. 
Yes, please don't be harsh on us. Don't give us constructive criticism. I, I can't take it. No. no, I can't take it at all. Only nice things. So that does it for this week. So uh, I've been Chris, he's been Steve, and we'll see you next time. 